You're listening to The Big Data Beard. And this is how every podcast starts. Welcome to the Big Data Beard Podcast, where we explore the exciting trends, technology evolutions, and talented people making big data a big deal. Today is our first time trying out remote recording. We are not all together in a sunny, beautiful Nashville, the gem of the South. So I guess we'll have to start off by saying, may the bandwidth and the Skype gods be with us. For our show today, I'm uh, joined by uh, Thomas Henson and Kyle Prinz of the Big Data Beard team. I'm Corey Minton, and we're also going to be talking with our good friend Rob Hout, also a member of the Big Data Beard team, but he's going to be sharing some perspectives with us today. Rob, thanks for being on. Awesome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, as a reminder, everybody, make sure to check us out on www.bigdatabeard.com. Follow us on social and uh, hang out with us and follow the podcast and tell your friends that this is the place to hang out and hear about all things big data and practitioner of IT and data engineering. All right, so let's start it off with a little bit of news. So I was uh, reading some news this morning, and I immediately thought of my good friend Kyle because there was a big article. It was uh, hot in the Twitterverse over smart locks crapping the bed. You guys see this article about uh, that was uh, north of, I think, 4,000 smart locks from a company called LockState that received a push firmware update that left them inoperable. Kyle, was this, were you affected by lock state? I was not. Uh, I have a Schlage uh, smart lock, which is connected via Z-Wave to a smart hub. Uh, so that device is not even accessible to the Internet without the hub. So fortunately, uh, I was safe. But that's not to say I haven't had my own fair share of problems. Nice. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts, the Internet of Shit, had some pretty good, uh, <laughs> pretty good commentary this morning on uh, IoT, pick your journey, uh, lock out the web access to protect your life critical stuff, or leave it open and really live on the edge. I don't feel like leaving your door locks open is uh, all that good. One of the interesting things, uh, interesting things I saw though, uh, LockState uh, had gained notoriety because they had actually worked out an agreement with Airbnb as a preferred provider for Airbnb hosts. And so this IoT device that became super popular with Airbnb hosts left them stranded. And the Twitterverse exploded with thousands of Airbnb hosts saying, uh, excuse me, um, my hosts or my guests can't get in. So we're seeing now that IoT devices can cause problems in the home. And if you're not savvy on social media, you're screwed. All right, so moving on, top 14 big data certification. So there was an article uh, that was published on CIO Magazine by uh, Thor Olavsrud. He sounds like a Viking, and I kind of want to hang out with him. At any rate, he, uh, he published an article on the 14 big data certifications that will get you paid. The premise of the article was that uh, data engineers, uh, practitioners of big data, data scientists are all uh, in high demand, and they're being compensated pretty nicely. So he built a nice little compendium of certifications. Now, do you boys carry any big data certifications? I do. Uh, I have quite a few surrounded in Splunk, uh, but that's pretty much gone extremely deep there, but haven't really spent much time getting certs elsewhere. Um, Thomas? I don't have any uh, certifications, but I do encourage it and uh, try to train people to get certifications. But I've yet to take the uh, plunge 
So I've looked at the uh, Hortonworks and uh, Cloud Arrow, both those pieces, but uh, have not uh, jumped in and taken the uh, plunge there. Do it, do it. <laughs> Rob, what do you got? You got some certs, bruh? Yeah, so I did the, the Hortonworks state architecture piece, um, but I was just going to note that down the street are uh, good friends at Galvanize, and those folks were running like the, you know the data science intensive immersive program on a pretty regular basis, kind of touting the same thing. So just trying to get people educated and trained on uh, in that space, trying to feed the market. I did notice yeah. one on here specific that was uh, shout out to us, the EMC data science associate, which mm-hmm. I have taken. That's a good one. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of interesting. That one's you know it, it although it is a, a you know kind of heritage GMC class. It actually having been through it as well. It's it's one of those that's it's not all that like it doesn't talk product. It actually is more about people, process, how you marry technology with the business. So I, I was I was glad to see that one on the list because I think they did a good job of uh, you know of making it sort of product agnostic. So if we go through the list, I noticed that there's they kind of break down in a few categories, and one that I that I personally didn't see on here that I argue should have been was the um, the MIT uh, Tackling the Challenges of Big Data course. It's an executive certificate course. I took it about a year and a half ago, and it was phenomenal, and it was uh, pretty technical. But my favorite thing about that one was that they – the the people that teach at MIT are the like the legends of big data. So I was taking courses like taking class from Mike Stonebreaker, right? Mike is one of the like the fathers of the modern relational database management system, right? Matahei Zahariya, one of the the literally he was the dude that in Berkeley's AMP Lab developed Spark and went on to you know found Databricks and ended up becoming a fellow professor at MIT and they just the kind of list went on of you know crazy good folks so anyways that wasn't on wasn't on there but the categories of these certifications break down a couple of ways one you've got a couple of them from universities so you've got like the optimizing big data certificate from the University of Delaware also one in India uh, do you guys see that it's um, it, it will cost you roughly three million rupee plus 15% service tax. I don't know if you guys so are on, the math on that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like, I think it's $7. Um, I'm not too worried about the math as much as I am the time zone difference. I've woken up at 3 a.m. to take a training class. It's not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. So then on the university side, you get another one from Columbia university. Um, and then you get into the category of, we'll call it like, uh, industry associations. So they have the certified analytic professional from an organization called Informs, which is, uh, you know, more of a practitioner's group. Um, that one's pretty reasonable in price, sub sub $700 if you're not a member of their team. Um, but pretty interesting around, again, analytics process. Uh, and then you get into the vendor courses. Now, uh, Cloudera shows up here as the winner of this list, having the most uh, of their classes listed. Um, so they have the certified data analyst, the Spark and Hadoop developer, and the data engineer. So three courses from Cloudera. That's pretty impressive. You guys been through any of the Cloudera certification classes? Yeah. So I, just a uh, just standard uh, uh, prof- uh, professional or uh, what do they call it? The uh, administrative course, which isn't listed here, by the way. So that was interesting. Let's say renamed to the data engineer piece. Yeah, I mean, I get I get asked from time to time about the the certification tracks, like which ones are actually valuable. And I think the, you know, the EMC one's good for again that marriage of business and technology, you know, process. Um, but I like going to the vendor classes, like Cloudera's certified admin course. 
I think it's good to get their perspective. I think that's, you know, for, for us as practitioners and, and especially on the IT, you know, vendor side, it's good to know what the ISVs are talking about and what their opinions are. Cause one of the things is true. And you guys have probably felt this is if you are, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a customer, you're somebody buying and trying to build this stuff, you have this kind of trust matrix, right? And the people you trust the most are like your peers or, you know, companies like you that have already done it, right? That's why they always ask, you always want to talk to somebody else that's a reference or whatever. And then below that, you always trust like the software vendor's opinion first over the hardware vendor's opinion, especially about the hardware to run the software. And so I think it's good if you're going to be a practitioner in this space, like go get the ISV certifications. Because if you don't, like you're, you may be pigeonholed as having the the corporate opinion of some IT provider. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd really recommend going to both the, the Clutter and the Hortonworks piece because they have a... A, a unique take on that on that space um, and hearing their opinion on it, how they go to market in the space and how they even just uh, administer their own platforms is pretty interesting. Yeah, I'll say that uh, it takes a lot of work to continue doing that. So um, they definitely have to get value about it because, I mean, think about it. How much has this market changed? And, I mean, right now they're probably rewriting everything, right, with Hadoop 3.0 and some, you know, some other pieces. So it's constantly changing. And like I said, you know, I'm, haven't gotten the certification, but I do follow what the requirements are for the certification. And I know from the Hortonworks side, if you go and just look at the outline and it'll take you to the links and the documentation that kind of shows you, okay, this is how you change the replication. This is how you set up quotas, or this is how you Kerberos, um, you know, your user authentication and some other pieces. And so, you know, they're continually updating that, but I mean, it's good, even if you're not doing the certification, just to kind of go in and look and see you know, what those skills are, and especially if, like, if you're evaluating, and this is one of the things that we did when we were, you know, evaluating, you know, kind of which distro we wanted to use, we went through and kind of looked at, you know, all that documentation to see kind of, okay, what do you think is important? And then, you know, obviously, you know, as developers and admins, we always want to find the easiest way to do it, too. So it's kind of kind of, kind of, of a way to cheat a little bit, right? You're not looking for an easy way. I can't imagine that. Now, I do find it interesting, though, um, it's funny you mentioned kind of the, Rob, the difference between Cloudera and Hortonworks in their approaches uh, to training. But do you find it interesting that, you know, if you look at Cloudera, they're, I think, I think generally the market considers them the more commercial, you know, less, maybe a little bit less open source friendly. Definitely the one trying to, if you look at their financials, like they're doing a little bit better potentially right in the market. It looks like maybe that their approach to the market has allowed them to basically fund maybe some better training. Do you think that's a fair a fair jump? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the Hortonworks approach to their market space is, I mean, it's it's still fairly loose, and you know, following that open source strategy has allowed them some flexibility in the kinds of things they can offer. But from a, I think a, a market space right now, um, and especially amongst the customers that I see on a regular basis. It's, I'm still seeing about half a half deployment, but I, I hear the the phrases from that I hear from the cloud era people personally. I hear that coming back from the customer base more often than what I hear from the Hortonworks side. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of look at it as like, you know, these training things, like they're investing in these certifications and clearly some people in the market are saying, hey, these are great. But how smart is it on their part? All right. So think about it. If you if you win the certification battle between if you're Cloudera and Hortonworks, or you're both trying to go after that market, you kind of the two big players, right? There's others that are ankle biters in the space, but clearly they're the the kind of the market share leaders. How smart is it to go get the practitioners certified in your stuff so that whenever they move, because you know, they will, right? This space is, uh, it's highly, it's highly, um, you know, kind of fluid and people are you know getting new offers all the time and people are in high demand. 
if you walk in and you have one of these Cloudera shirts, don't you think that there's a good chance that that Cloudera rep then gets to sell Cloudera at that new space? Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly it, that's uh, that's the drag that you want to create, right? If you own the education space, certification space, you'll eventually own the market. I think it's a twofold strategy, though, too. I mean, you, if you think about it, you know, the big data community, we're known for, you know, having a, some kind of a gap. And so the more people that we have that have certification are using it, it's the same strategy that Microsoft uses in colleges, right? You give, you give them free software, get them hooked on it, so that when they get to their corporate job or their first job, they're like, oh, you know, we have to use, you know, .NET or, you know, Visual Studio and some of these other pieces. And so it's the same thing if Cloudera and Hortonworks do the same thing. It's like, let's get more people involved and get more people certified so that when they go to their first job or their second job, they're like, hey, we have to do, you know, Hadoop and do it this way. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, I used HTTP or I'm certified, you know, with Cloudera and just pull that in too so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it kind of helps helps that strategy piece too i'm pretty sure what you just said there is that the uh the folks at cladera are using a tried and true method that drug dealers use which is the gateway drug so thank you for that taking the show down that path thomas a couple of the other certificates i saw on there ibm still hitting the top of the list even though i think they've been a little bit quieter in the big data space clearly on the consulting and on watson side they've been big but on the the, the ones that made it in there were surprising to me. Data architect and data engineer were the two uh, certifications that IBM had hit the list, which surprised me a bit. Although, um, you know, one of them was focused more on SPSS, which is like clearly a uh, statistical modeling tool that I, that I get. They still make uh, quite a bit of coin on uh, from adoption. And then some of the ones that rounded out from a uh, vendor perspective, MongoDB hits the list with two certifications which I thought was pretty interesting that uh, that Mongo uh, was the leader in the SQL space. Do you guys surprised at all that we didn't see uh, that we didn't see anybody else like, you know, the open source community classes, Cloudera, or excuse me, uh, Udacity, or folks like MarkLogic show up on the list? I'm I'm personally not. A, I'm really excited to see MongoDB show up. Uh, they're growing. Their market share is growing quite a bit, and then they're taking the form that Microsoft has taken, where they're trying to get everybody certified, associated with it, understanding the software to help improve their stickiness within the accounts that they have. So I'm I'm absolutely pumped to see them on there. You do? Did you go to the conference this year, Kyle? I did. I did, and uh, I drank the Kool Aid. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see <laughs> Mongo, Mongo up there and see what they have to do. Nice. All right, and then rounding out was. Our friends at SAS, SAS Certified Big Data Professional, uh, makes the list. Surprising, this is one of those companies that, if you really look in the data analytics space, candidly, aren't they the behemoth that all of us should be watching? But isn't it weird that we're not, like, it's not as sexy and as exciting as, uh, as, as maybe, maybe I just have the wrong perspective, but it seems, seems weird to me that we're not talking about them more. It's funny, every customer that I've been to that, that has uh, not only a Hadoop RD deploy, but some other kind of uh, functioning big data system, they all have SaaS, and they're all using it for one thing or another, and sometimes even connection between those systems. So, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I'm surprised they weren't a little bit higher on the list here, but I've seen them everywhere, and we don't talk about them nearly enough. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at, like, how big they are, I mean, aren't they north? They're north of, like, $3 billion in revenue. So if you th- think about the, the companies in this space, they're absolutely the giant. And for them, specifically that they're, you know, all their offerings around, it's all about data, right? They just don't show up there. The, the other one I found interesting not on the list, and maybe this is because of the focus of the, 
the list was more on the data engineering side, which is great for our audience. But I noticed that there wasn't any certifications that really focused in on the visualization tools like the like like Tableau or ClickView or any of their uh, kind of offerings. So maybe it was the focus of this this uh, article that we didn't see them. But are you guys seeing those those tools become more interesting and the integration and engineering around those tools? Uh, are your customers asking about it? I see it from a big perspective that we're starting to get with Zeppelin and, and uh, Juniper and some of the other pieces, the visualization part, and for sure uh, Tableau. But also, I think it's kind of cool because, I mean, this was kind of focused more on the data engineer. But, I mean, for, for so long, we've been lagging in the new community for visualization and some of the other pieces. And part of it, too, is because we take for granted those amazing front-end developers we have that are, you know, using D3 or, um, you know, some of the, you know, some of the more uh, – heavy JavaScript uh, pieces to do the visualization for us. So, you know, on the back end, it's between us and our uh, data scientists, you know, brothers and sisters to be able to, you know, make sure that we're getting the right information to put it out in the dashboards. And then it turns around to the development team. That, hey, it's time for us to get a dashboard. <laughs> so, I mean, you're kind of seeing that. But um, I also say, too, you know, you mentioned that uh, not seeing some of the micro certifications on there, too. And I think that when we, if we take this poll, and, you know, this is something that I'm sure – Every six months or so, uh, it's going to be, you know, somebody's going to comment, put an article out on these certifications that you have to have because, one, it changes and, you know, we're always having to update those. But I think we'll start to see the more micro certifications, uh, and that's coming more and more popular. I think you had mentioned not seeing a course that you had maybe taken in the past, but I think you're seeing more of the micro certifications. And if you look like on people's LinkedIn profiles now, like you'll have, you know, something, you know, whether it be from Udacity, you know, Pluralsight, Linux Academy, you're starting to see these micro certifications that are posted on your social media so that, you know, if you're talking to a recruiter or, you know, um, interviewing for a, a job, you can kind of you know, post those. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, because how long does it take to create that content to do something on, say, you know, say Spark or, you know, to create those certifications? So every time something comes out new, like Apache Beam, for instance, last three months, you know, it got moved to top level, uh, contribute, you know, a contributor status uh, in Apache. And so, what if, what about a micro certification on that? Well, how long would it take to create a full certification on it? But if you had a micro micro certification saying, hey, this person, you know, understands and has this badge, and that's kind of where you're starting to see. And like I said, it's going to take another couple of years, but you're if you just start noticing it on um, LinkedIn profiles and some of the other social media pieces. So we're we're uh, we're decon deconstructing the education process going to micro certifications, much like services have been deconstructed to micro services. I like where your head's at, Thomas. I think that's fun. Um, as a, as a training and content developer, I'm sure you're, you're seeing opportunities to, uh, to build new courses. Are you working on anything new or exciting that you're uh, going to be developing content against right now? Yeah, I'm still working through uh, some of the Hortonworks pieces, and um, I should have something coming out with that. But I'm also looking at the future and trying to do some more around the architecture and the streaming IoT. You know, it's a little, it's a little different about you know the way that we approach it. Right? Sometimes we put IoT, IoT is in one bucket right over here. It has nothing to do with data analytics. It's like, well, where, where does all the data go that you need to store? I mean, you, you just yeah. you just get your you just get the analytics that you need. You know, in a second, and then we just throw it away. No, that never happens. So That's not true. those are those are some of the things I'm looking at, just to kind of. I mean, sometimes it's just like a buzzword vocabulary game, and you just have to kind of separate and say, hey, you know, this is kind of what we're saying. This is, you know, IoT is a real thing, and this is what we mean, but these are the data analytics parked on the back end. Or, like you were saying, this is the front-end development piece, which, you know, we yeah. kind of left out uh, some of those people, and so we'll see. Nice. So let's uh, let's talk about some fun upcoming events and any cool trips. Does anybody have 
anywhere totally awesome that they're going in the next two to three weeks? Spoiler alert, I have one. I got two. Lay it on me, Haas. What, what, what? Uh, I'm heading to Salt Lake City next week uh, for some VX Rack Flex training. Pretty excited about it, even though it is the totally wrong time to go to Salt Lake City. <laughs> Heard the mountains aren't quite open yet. Yeah, but gonna... to make up for that, VMworld the week after that in Las Vegas. So pretty Ooh, pumped. VMworld, that's an exciting time. Our uh, our good friend Aaron Banks has an awesome video slash dance move out there to invite everybody to come talk to us. Love that. Um, so I'm going to steal the thunder. I have a pretty kick-butt trip going to Atlanta, Georgia. No, I'm kidding. That's not the exciting one. I am going to Atlanta, Georgia. But we have this uh, this big technical readiness summit that's going on inside Dell AMC's pre-sales, and I'm going to Vienna, Austria. So it'll be my first time in Austria uh, week after next. Very excited about that. Uh, but probably the thing I'm most excited about right now in the big data space in terms of conferences is Splunk Conference coming up September 25th through the 28th in Washington, D.C. And I'm pleased to announce that I'll be presenting at my third Splunk Conference in a row. It's only my fourth one to attend, but my third one in a row to present at. We're going to talk about the dark arts of Splunk architecture. Does that sound cool? No? Not cool? Yeah, it seems okay, I guess. <laughs> Do we have budget for that? <laughs> I I am pretty pumped for a new hoodie, though. I'll tell you that much. Oh god! I mean, it's it's kind of becoming like a badge of honor, you know. That it you is. got like I kind of want to show up with my like my Splunk hoodie from 2014, and then just like look around and see anybody that's wearing one that's not as old as that, and just like give them the judging eyes, like, don't you wish you were this cool? I don't know. I think the people in the fez hats will be judging you. Yes, indeed. Uh, another conference, actually, we talked about it a minute ago with uh, with Tableau and visualization. I was actually surprised by this. So I'm so I'm going to Tableau conference this year. It's uh, it's later. It's in October, uh, out in Las Vegas, and I'm going because I'm now a Tableau user. Uh, I've actually had a Tableau server provisioned for for my business unit, and I'm actually uh, setting up some integrations between it and uh, our Salesforce.com instance, as well as some open source tools that we're doing to track some enablement activities of our team in the field. And uh, so I got my own Tableau instance, and I realized that I don't know nearly enough about it, <laughs> and I'm really bad at visual storytelling. And so I'm going to conference. Um, and when I started looking into like training and stuff, they've got some amazing stuff, which is, I mean. That's half the fun of these conferences, right, is that you go get to learn a ton, right? You, you hang out with folks that have been using the tools for years and they can teach you how to do simple stuff that it just blows your mind. But anyways, I'm taking one of their fundamentals classes. I'm super excited about it. But the thing that blew me away is, um, is I looked at the, the number of attendees for the conference. And so I think of like, you know, Splunk Conference is big, right? It's like, you know, I think they're expecting like 6,500 people this year. Tableau Conference? 16,500 expected attendees. Oh, holy cow, right? Yeah, that brings up a good point. I, and I can't remember who said it or retweeted it, but I saw a uh, tweet this weekend that was amazing. It was like, I don't go to conferences to learn. I go to conferences to find out what I should come back and learn. And so I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, go into that. You're really going to, you're really going to find out a lot of, a lot of good information and, you know, things that you're going to need to learn, but it's also going to teach you like, man, you know, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. You'll be like, Oh, I've got all this stuff that I can need to do. You get back and be like, all right, here we go. Yeah, it definitely helps you develop a game plan to come back with with a strategy then for your next year. Absolutely. 
So I'm also super excited that there's another conference I forgot to mention. It's not really big data so much as it is just kind of cool web tools. Like, I don't know, it's, you know, think if Trello and Atlassian are cool, they're not really big data, but they play in the space. I'm going to Smartsheet Conference in Seattle and uh, the week before Splunk Conference, the third week in September. You guys familiar with Smartsheet? If you're not, it's okay. I'll tell you, here's how I know it's cool. Um, when in, in a recent scene of season four of Silicon Valley, when they were panning around showing the screens of the dudes uh, working for Pied Piper, um, who's the tall, goofy guy? That's the the creepy one. That's Richard's Gilfoyle. right hand man. No, not Gilfoyle. That's the that's the angry one. He's the Satanist. Who's the the tall one that wore the jacket? That uh oh, Jared. Jared. Okay, thank you, Jared. <laughs> I couldn't remember to think of his name to save my life. Yeah. Jared. They showed Jared's jacket. Machine. And Jared, yeah, he's the jacket. Jared had Smartsheet up for project management. Well, we're using it, and it's, it's interesting. I'm integrating it with Tableau for a bunch of the stuff. Anyways, so I'm going to Smartsheet Conference in Seattle. Rob, I'll uh, I'll come buy you a sandwich at Salumi while I'm there. Awesome. I'm sure you'll like Big that. Fan. <laughs> All right, so moving on, speaking of Rob, let's uh, let's let's put you in the hot seat, bro, Chacho. Let's, uh, right let's have a little chat. So, Rob, do me a favor. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do, man. So, Rob Hout, I'm um, an SE in the Iceland business unit of Dell EMC currently, living in the uh, Seattle area, covering uh, some enterprise accounts both here and in uh, beautiful Boise, Idaho. Uh, but I've been with uh, Dell EMC since 2010, since the Iceland acquisition. I uh, was with Iceland a little bit prior to that acquisition, have been both on the Iceland side and uh, and covering the portfolio is what we call a core SE uh, here at Dell EMC in the, in the enterprise space in that, during that time. So I do know a little bit about you. You and I have a shared sorted past. But I know you worked at Budweiser. Is that right? Yeah, I was a contractor there uh, before my days in the, in the vendor space. So setting up... Uh, Early the early days of storage area networks and doing some uh, burying and fermenting autom- uh, automation in the in the corporate engineering side of the of the business. Question: Were you allowed to consume the product at work? Uh, not directly at work, but on the grounds from time to time. Perks so of working I'm, for Budweiser. So I'm pretty sure. So Miller Coors, uh, they have a. Uh, two cases per month, uh, staff allowance. So I had friends that worked for them up in Milwaukee, and they literally got two cases a month. Now this is what we're talking about. So worked at Budweiser. I also happened to um, stalk you. I mean, follow you on uh, Instagram, and uh, I noticed you're into Star Wars and Legos. Is that true? That's a that's a shared passion with my seven year old son, um, and right now he's putting together the awesome Millennium Falcon, and it's everything I can do to to not push him aside and build it myself and claim it as mine, but uh, I'm patiently watching this thing come together over time. So this weekend, I uh, have a five year old and. I share a passion, and she does too for Legos, but I don't let her play with them. So we, we we've got it still. My, my wife's kind of upset. It's all spread out <laughs> over the kitchen table, and we haven't finished putting it together because I think it was for like a fourteen-year-old, and like yeah. I thought I was pretty smart, but oh my gosh, it like came in three packages, and then there were three smaller packages in that, and so we've been eating in the dining room since uh, Sunday. 
<laughs> so it turns out Rob, Rob Rob still has a chance at Father of the Year. Thomas, you're out, bro. <laughs> I'm good with that as long as I'm not in last place. I mean, I'm just trying to keep it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. So uh, so so Rob, I want to talk with you about some of the things that you're doing today because, as you said, you're um, you, you've transitioned into a role where you're you're big data focus for the Isilon team. You get to talk with lots of cool customers up there in the Pacific Northwest, which is a hotbed of activity. Um, and and you, you told me earlier that you were working on this uh, this interesting uh, machine learning environment, specifically around one of our favorite topics, uh, autonomous vehicles. Tell me a little bit about what's going on there and 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 what's uh, what, what your role in that conversation is. Yeah, sure. So we're we're still kind of in the early phases with the customer up here, but we're uh, we're helping them um, kind of understand probably where they need to be because so it's a customer who isn't in this space already. Right, they they build vehicles uh, from the ground up, and they they do them across many different industries. So they sell into industries, and uh, they have toyed around with the idea of uh, doing some telemetry data on vehicles, which they're already doing today. But like taking that a step further, and you know, we need to have some self-driving cars, or at least smart vehicles that know when to stop, or you know, stay in the lane, and do some of those other things we would expect from autonomous vehicles to do but they don't have anything stood up in that space yet. So they've created a business unit around autonomous driving um, and are just now getting ready to basically stand up a data center around the space. So they're trying to learn everything from how do we collect data in the vehicle, how do we get it off the vehicle into our data center, and then what's the center data center? Do we keep the data? Do we put it in the cloud? You know, How do we learn from it? How do we get code back in the vehicle? So they're... You know, it's it's a chalkboard and some chalk right now, and uh, we're trying to figure out how to get, you know, what kind of compute do they need, what kind of storage they need, how long are they going to keep the data, what's important to them over time, uh, what makes the most sense, and trying to compare them to other vehicles would be really interesting, uh, other vehicle manufacturers like like Tesla, for example. Yeah, for sure. Tesla's a uh, hot topic. We uh, we saw them moving towards the the industrial space, which is kind of fun. So. So when you like when you engage with a customer like this, um, you're a you're a dude who helps you know design infrastructure for big data systems. Like, what's your seat at the table? Like, what what, what would what's the best thing you do to help an organization like that solve problems? Like, what what do you what do you do with them? Because because I'm trying to I want people to understand like what engineers for a company like Dell, who we obviously are part of a, a selling organization, but that there's like, what's the the value that you bring to the table for a customer like that? And so this particular customer, I've, I've become a trusted advisor to them. So I was a channel for, like, everything Dell EMC does. So that's why I, I, I dig out the Rolodex of internal resources and know and our big data services group who can talk to them about actually standing up this stuff and doing real work in this space. Um, what system integrators do I know that, that operate in this space specifically and how can I engage them at this customer shop and then going on to our C-level CTO type folks who have specialty in this area kind of across the globe and bringing all that to bear into the customer, helping educate them on what, what their competition is doing or what even some of their, uh, their peer companies are doing where they might be able to partner together to bring a solution to market. Oh, that's cool, man. So, so that's a fun thing. Autonomous vehicles, like, does it get any sweeter and sexier than that? They're rolling data centers, creating data at an, an astonishing rate. But you're also working on, I heard a project that you're working on is around um, uh, circuit design and this electronic, um, you know, electronic design. Tell me a little bit about some of the things you're doing in what feels like not a big data space, right? Circuit design, is that big data? 
Uh, not directly, but they certainly have a lot of it, which makes it big. Um, the particular company I'm working with, uh, they they are a big Hadoop user, um, and they do use that in their chip qualification space doing QA checks, uh, having a history to, to build off of. But at the same time, like this one is just happens to be uh, they're looking to collect and store uh, many years of information um, so they can go back and understand what worked, what didn't work, and also have an uh, RMA processes for things in the field. Uh, and that particular data is as an image store with some qualification checks for each one of those images they take of a chip. And that data is what back in some of the Hadoop environments I just talked about. So they're not able to store a lot of content today, which makes their, their history and their research short, but they want to increase that space. And so we're looking at, you know, many, many, many petabytes of data, uh, being stored at each one of their individual fab sites. Just kind of interested, uh, Robin. You might not be able to share some of this, but like, what kind of architecture are they looking at? Is it, I mean, is it a lambda base? I mean, you're saying that you know we're going to have Hadoop there. So are they are they still looking at running some of the some of the batch level jobs to do some historical events? And it's just kind of interesting for me because it sounds so much like what we talk about, where we it sounds so much like what we talk about whenever we're saying streaming analytics and smart cars are definitely you know IoT, but there's also that you know batch and Hadoop component to it too. Yeah, so currently uh, it's still a fairly segmented environment. So there, it's not necessarily a land architecture today. So they have the standard things you would expect from the EDA platform, where it's very high speed, very high performance storage environment and compute and machine uh, compute environment. Um, however, they have a, a deep archive side, which stores all this content that they do more you know, slower batch uh, related searches across. And that's all more on the end of the, the, the qual or the end of the fabrication side where they're doing qualifications. Yeah, so one of the things that I find interesting um, is that cool projects always come with cool challenges. So I'm curious to hear from you, Rob. Um, I, I've run into customers doing really interesting, you know, ideas in terms of, you know, creating new business value, deploying new cutting edge technologies. But they always come back to a, some subset of like pains in the rear <laughs> around successfully deploying these things. Like, what are some of the things that you're hearing from customers when you're out there talking with them, like why they call a vendor, why they call you? What are some of the big challenges that customers are having around successfully deploying large scale, you know, big data analytics, open source or commercial kind of platforms? You know, a big part of it is purely just management and administration of the space, right? So uh, we've got one customer here in the Seattle area who is approaching a thousand nodes in their Hadoop cluster, for example. The the gentleman started that program or that that part of the business. He uh, he didn't want to. He never thought he would be and responsible for such a large platform. Um, it wasn't something he was necessarily interested in. He was using it to achieve a result. Um, he has recently tried to go to his IT department saying, hey, can you just take this over so I can be a user of my environment again? And they just looked at him like he was an alien, like we don't want any part <laughs> of managing a thousand servers. Thank you. Um, yeah. So now they started having that conversation over the last year or so about how do we re-architect and rebuild this environment so that it fits into the corporate enterprise data center standards and how does it fit in that space so we can take it over management as an application instead of just a running file system. Yeah, are you seeing any like do you have are there any MNO tools like management orchestration stacks that you're seeing when in this space? Um, you know, starting to uh yet only because we're still trying to get over that heartbreak between the two sides about who's going to manage what. Um, so I, I haven't seen any of that actually get into the corporate management and the corporate uh, data center management yet. Well, yeah, cuz I mean the 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 big the big argument we've had with 
you know, the ISV vendors on how to run their stuff the right way and the hardware vendors of what they want to do. And the M&O people is like, that kind of comes down to a couple, you know, paths, right? Which is your M&O stack is either you go bare metal, full software defined by the platform you choose, which is like use all the Hadoop tools for everything and go bare metal, treat infrastructure as a commodity that you toss away or um, put an abstraction layer in there, which is like virtualization, what we did in the enterprise IT for business apps over the last 20 years, right? Um, and then the, so we see virtualization, like it was kind of an interesting topic and certainly VMware still has really good conversations with customers virtualizing uh, big data in many, many cases. Like there's a there's a value prop there. But one of the ones I see starting to, to permeate a lot of customers, customers now is um, the two are containerization and um, just actually mostly containerization is kind of the big one, right? Which is like, how do I adopt a container platform to do Hadoop? Um, have you seen any, like, is there any ML platforms you're interested in or you're kind of keeping an eye on that are doing either containerization of big data or that are ML stacks that you think are, are kind of interesting in there to solve that problem? Yeah, certainly. Certainly, some of the tools that we're using um, on our own internal at Dell EMC, trying to build some of our own products in this space, uh, looking at Mesos and and some of the pieces around the Mesosphere in that space. Um, outside of that, I've not directly, but I'm working with one of the core SEs here on the team in Seattle, who is uh, hip deep into the DevOps space and building these kind of managed orchestration layers for some of his customer set to try to help solve this problem. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a chat later on a on a call about the Smack Stack. And how cool smack is. And I'm not talking about drugs, folks. It's smack, okay? I'm not on drugs right now. All right, so um, Rob, question, not about drugs, uh, about uh, what you're seeing in trends in this space. Um, what are some of the macro trends you're seeing in terms of, like, use cases for data or uh, use cases for this, you know, this, this kind of burgeoning open source community? Is there... Is there like one particularly hot area or an area that's gotten, you know, revived that you're interested in? Well, so I, I've worked with a number of customers, uh, both in St. Louis before I moved to Seattle and on Seattle, who had gone down, for example, the, the Splunk path for, for SIM tools for security, uh, right? And that was made good sense for them. It was awesome. Uh, worked fairly well. But over time, and in particular here in Seattle, I started to see, like last year, a little burgeoning industry startup around people building their own, and particularly a couple of people in the area building them then for other people. And like, how, how can I go do this cheaply on my own? Where I have to pay anything? And, uh, you know, let that now that goes by for about a year now. And I've started to have some of the same customers who've, who've, while well, they brought Splunk in house to manage an entire environment worth of things where Sim was just part of it. Now, you know, outside of IT and business analytics, some of the pieces. They've kind of come back and like, you know, this tool that we looked at was kind of interesting, but it didn't work right out of the box. We didn't have time to really, you know, get with the developer of it and find out what we needed to build to get the data back to us or find the right visualization tools or the right kind of intrusion detection. So we're just going to go back and continue what we were doing before, sort of, I won't say learning a lesson, but it was certainly interesting uh, how difficult of a journey it was for them and wanting to come back to something kind of a big warm blanket, so to speak. Hey, warm blanket. <laughs> I like warm blankets. <laughs> Rob, I like what you said there about the ability to, um, you know, this developer created something and then nobody can figure out what they did. Um, I used to do that all the time. It's called job security. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yeah, that's one way to one way to ensure that you're not going to be let go very quickly. We have the <laughs> as a as a I talk to a bunch of IT pro IT uh, leaders. They're like, you know, we have this platform. Here's my big concern. I call it the bus theorem. Like the bus theorem, what? And I was like, well, so I have this dude. He's super smart, and he built most of this stuff. And he's the only one that really knows how it works. And if a bus comes by and hits him on his way to Starbucks to the or to the office, we're toast. How do I plan for the bus theorem? So it goes into the HA. And actually, it's it's basically the reason why Kyle now hides a key outside of his house, because he's pretty sure that his uh, automatic lock is going to take a dump in his lap at some point. So, Rob, again. thanks so much for the uh, for the conversation. Yeah, again, uh, we're going to shift gears here. I want to start with, um, one, how do we connect with you online? Are you are you in the, the tweeter? Are you in there? Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's at Rob underscore Hout, H-O-U-T. All right. And uh, as we said, Rob is a contributing member of BigDataBeard.com and will be on uh, future uh, shows as a uh, host, maybe executive producer if Kyle keeps screwing things up, and uh, maybe even a uh, maybe a, a casting guy. We'll, we'll see if he can go help us get some good talent. So uh, one thing, Rob, that we like to do for all those folks who are in the hot seat from time to time is ask a few questions. Um, and we have this rapid fire section where we get some, uh, we have some questions we'd like to hear everybody answer. Um, but one I have special just for you um, is what is your favorite memory of traveling to the Middle East and India with me? Uh, I would say uh, walking through the market and hearing the words as loud as possible, Hey, mustache! <laughs> Uh, for those who don't know, at the time, uh, Rob and I spent uh, two solid weeks traveling across uh, the Middle East and India together, and we uh, ventured into the souks of Dubai. And at the time, I was rocking, and will be shortly again soon, a very wide curled mustache. And uh, they were, hey, Jack Sparrow, hey, uh, hey, Captain, hey, mustache. And then my favorite was when Rob walked by. Rob and I are not small guys. Um we probably together roughly the equivalent of a mini Cooper. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we referred to constantly, we're referred to it constantly as a hey, big boss, a hey, big boss. So, okay. So now we're moving on to the rapid fire questions. Rob curiosity. What year do you think Skynet will go online? Uh, if not this year, at least next year. So side note, I actually, asked a question about Skynet on Twitter because I was curious if machine learning could power AI and AI could power automation to help <laughs> fix my mother-in-law's IT, if that could be an automation thing. And Skynet responded that they weren't interested. So apparently they're not really into menial tasks. You realize you're a public enemy number one now. Yeah, clearly. That yeah, I tagged T- on. T-1000. I tagged, really? on to that post. I tagged on to that post and asked them to do my expense reports. I was like, hey, before you conquer the world, you could at least do an expense report. And Skynet like <laughs> responded. It's like, what the? I mean, I think they're listeners of the podcast anyway. I mean, this is where they learn uh, machine learning and big data so they can conquer the world. But I mean, wow, it was just, I mean, getting that affirmation was crazy. Yeah, it's true. So Rob, if you were to buy me a book or just anybody, don't think about it, me, because I know you think I have problems, but which book would it be? Uh, typically, that recommendation is The Trial by Franz Kafka. The the what? The trial. The trial. 
by Franz mm-hmm. Kafka. Okay. So uh, when you're cruising down the street in your 6-4 around Seattle, what sort of music, what genre of music are you listening to? Uh, if it's just me driving around, it's usually some Chicago blues, Delta blues. And uh, if I'm on my way to the gym, there might be a little uh, little metal mixed in there. Yeah, we forgot to mention that there is uh, a deep southern root to all the big data. Well, most of the big data, especially the four on today. Rob, where are you from originally? I uh, was born and raised around within about an hour range of Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee, down in Mississippi, down the Delta. Kyle's from Columbia, Tennessee, home of the uh, Mule Days. Thomas Henson, where are you from originally? Alabama, born and raised. Roll tat. No, so I just threw up, no. I just threw up in my mouth saying no. that. No, <laughs> you can say sweet home in Alabama, actually, but don't we, say roll tat. Yeah, we actually we both live in Alabama. And neither one of us we both hate Alabama, which is awesome. Um, actually, actually, my my daughter came home from school one day. We live in Birmingham. I'm from Texas originally, but we came from. She came from home from school one day and said roll tat, and we told her we're like, now, honey, we love you. Next time you say that in this house, you're getting a spanking. All right, so uh, Rob, what is your favorite piece of useless technology? Uh, I don't know if I would call it extremely useless, but I'm a big fan of my uh, my Alexa, my Echo at home, um, and we use it for mostly completely useless things. Yeah, it's stunning that we've uh, we've invited Jeff Bezos into our home purely for the purpose of playing kids' songs whenever <laughs> they freaking want them. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Rob, if I say, Alexa, buy me a new car, is, is your Alexa on right now? Can it hear us? I have my Alexa. I want a new car, Alexa. <laughs> to buy or purchase anything. I have had friends send me Snapchats where they're telling my Echo to play Nickelback. And then the next thing I know, <laughs> the beginning lyrics to look at this photograph are starting up. <laughs> I just have to take an axe to it. I'm done. I'm fired. <laughs> oh, that's... That's maybe uh, that's Kyle. You know what? You just got promoted to junior producer. Well done, Rob. How? What is your biggest money pit right now? Uh, I thankfully I am project free, uh, but we are soon potentially uh, updating the HVAC system in my house, so that will be my my fall money pit. Hmm. Make sure it's smart, okay? Yeah. Uh, Rob. Mostly because I want to take it over and turn your house about 90 degrees just when you're there by yourself and you're thinking, ooh, I'm going to have a good time. Um, and then lock them in it. And then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes to that. Okay. Rob, uh, are you going anywhere exciting or interesting soon? Uh, outside of joining you in Atlanta next week, uh, that is, Don't that talk is my about exciting that. trip. You shouldn't speak of that publicly. And then if I were to ask, what show are you binging on right now? Are you are you just consuming some tech TV show like a behemoth? Uh, not tech, but sci-fi. So I'm catching up on Which The one? Expanse. Dude, you just out-nerded me. What the hell is that? <laughs> you're, you're missing out then. It's like Game of Thrones for space. Check. Check. <laughs> I love analogs. That makes me really happy. It's like Game of Thrones for space. So should I expect like naked ladies and no. dragons in space? No. Is that what happens? No. Robot no. dragons. Just, just, just Robot dragons. groups of people, but in space. So it's like Star Wars. <laughs> sure. 
Yes, it's it's. I don't know why you're watching that show. It basically sounds terrible. Um, so, Rob, um, I did notice. Uh, I, I saw a recent picture of you, and knowing the uh, the three other Big Data Beard contributors that are on the call are all rocking robust, well groomed, well oiled beards. I noticed you're growing a beard. Is that true? Are you growing a Big Data Beard? There is some beard happening. Uh, we'll see how long uh, it, my face allows it to happen. You mean your face or your wife? Uh, probably mostly my face. Rob, I'd like to uh, offer up a, a fun for you to be able to have a beard announcement, like how some couples have pregnancy announcements, if you'd like to make up a nice postcard or <laughs> something like that. I'd, yeah, we'll I'd help contribute to that fun. Okay. We'll, we'll take pictures together in Atlanta, and you can be yeah, like, that'll be great. This is future man. Get his beard like a little pair of Converse. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to say that you have a beard idol, who would your beard idol be? Probably ZZ Top. Ooh, good choice. Texas Boys. Killers with a guitar. I really like that. It makes me happy. Well, Rob, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Hope you uh, hope you'll join us again to be a host sometime. And I just want to remind everybody to uh, join us uh, on the podcast journey as we uh, get better. I was told once by Thomas Henson that podcasts are only good after 100 episodes. So I encourage you to join us for the next 94 ep- 95 episodes while we get better. But definitely <laughs> check us out on www.bigdatabeard.com. Follow us on Twitter. Big Data Beard is our hashtag. You can also follow us individually. And then make sure and check out the next show where we will be talking with Aaron Banks, the maven of big data. Thanks for joining everybody. Have a great day.